a Pulp MX Network production. With your support of our sponsors, we have reached over 800 podcasts and counting. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, support your moto addiction by buying from our sponsors. It's the Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. Presented by Fox Racing. The original moto podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com RacerX podcast. Superstore.com, they're a passionate team that speaks moto. If I'm talking about going riding, bench racing, or the latest parts and gear, they've got it. Uh, this is what drives them to be the place for you to check out all things motorcycles. Uh, MotorcycleSuperstore.com, 700 trusted brands. Use the code PB-PULP16. When you check out, you can save a little bit on uh, the brands that, that uh, are eligible for that. So you listen to this podcast and you get a discount, people. Just do it. MotorcycleSuperstore.com. And, of course, Fox Racing, presented by Fox Racing. Foxhead.com, Ryan Dungey, Kenny Roxon, just some of the dudes that wear Fox. If you don't know Fox Racing, if your dealer doesn't carry Fox Racing, go to another dealer, man. Uh, please. So check it out. Thanks to the folks at Fox. And thanks to the Motorcycle Superstore guys. And, of course, this is RacerX Podcast. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, a guy that uh, I've had on my list for a long time to, uh, to do one of these with. I didn't have a phone number for a long time. And then a guy... Hit me up on Twitter and got me got me his number and uh, couldn't be happier or more pleased to uh, to get New England legend JoJo Keller. JoJo, what's up, man? How are you? How you doing, Steve? Great talking to you. I'm sorry. Uh, the reason you probably didn't have a number is there were times I probably didn't have a phone. So, but uh, <laughs> great talking to you. And uh, I heard the Fox uh, the Fox ads, and that's a big reason why you are talking to me because. They gave me my start, you know, as a pro, and uh, I'll never forget those days. How's everything going with you? I'm good, man. Before we hit record, I had no idea, JoJo, that you listened to these podcasts. You, like Cliff White and, and George Holland, and I would have never thought that JoJo Keller was a podcast listener. I'm pumped. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, once my wife taught me how to turn a computer on, and I had a <laughs> job for a while where I was working nights, and I... uh I found out about it. I was late into the whole computer thing, and I heard people talking about it. And, uh, dude, you saved me many, many nights from falling asleep by listening to I, I, I mean, I literally went through every one of your podcasts. That's crazy. They're, they're unbelievable. And I was always the biggest fan. That's why I still can't believe I'm talking to you, because I still feel much more of a, you know, I read some of your columns and heard you, and how you're talking about being a fan, and I, I still feel way more like a fan of the sport than a rider. So it's kind of <laughs> strange talking to you, but it's awesome. No, that's great, man. You did a lot in your career, and and it, honestly, it, it, when I started in '96 as a mechanic, like obviously Tim Ferry, I don't know what it is that you did to Tim Ferry when you were when he was kid, but he, you've always been like his hero, like for reals. He always he'd be like JoJo's awesome, JoJo's a legend, JoJo's great. And I told him I was doing this podcast, and he was excited. Anthony Paggio, Gene Numack told me JoJo stories. Uh, Treadwell's got JoJo. Everyone's got a JoJo story. It's amazing. He can ride down a railway track without falling off. Uh, he came out. He came out of nowhere. Didn't ride practice. Smoked Dowdy. Um, blah blah. Everyone has a JoJo story. It's phenomenal. 
<laughs> yeah, well, everyone's got a Steve Mathis story, too. That's what's so strange. It's like 96, right, when you got into it is exactly when I uh, – when I, you know, got out of it, mm-hmm. so yeah, I was always like, it's weird. We never really got to meet up or anything since we both love hockey and yeah, and uh, all that stuff. But yeah, I just, I think my enthusiasm. I was always positive, and mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I was little, I was at the races and uh, John Betancourt. It was a, you know, he raced with Steve Wise and those guys when Wise did his uh, road racing thing. Mm-hmm. He, he won a uh, Mid Ohio. Superbike race got third at Daytona in like '82 or something, and yeah, yeah. I remember I was younger and I was like on it. He, uh, I was at the races, and like I was just following him around. This before my my family knew him or anything, and like I watched him dominate, he, I dominate the both motos, and like I was just watching everything he did. And um, back then they gave trophies out, and I, I was just walking back, and I saw him, and I was kind of like stalking him, but not getting too close. <laughs> He turned around and gave me his trophy that he won. And I'm oh, like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so, like, I always, you know, I just. just you always been, time, like, a, into it. Know, huh? I, I don't yeah. have one trophy in my house right now because the first thing I always did was, like, you know, if I saw some, I'd look for any kid or uh-huh. little girl or boy or, you know, elderly person. And I'd say, hey, you want this? And I think uh, a lot of it comes from that, you know, just trying to follow other people's examples so right oh that's awesome uh, yeah i always yeah. loved him i came back and uh i don't know i took some time away from the sport and i started riding again i went to unidil in like 93 yeah after not riding for a few years and did pretty good and so the next year i went to the winter series and that's the first time i saw tim he's 29 on some honda i had never even heard of him <laughs> and we went to dade city which was one of my favorite tracks and they just like I always thought I was good in the sand, and uh, he just totally blew everyone away. So I, I always kind of <laughs> like, I knew he was going to be really good, and uh, it was just great. Like I told you, uh, you know, earlier, I saw that little interview he had, and he said something about yeah. they had like a motorcycle magazine for kids, and he mentioned that same thing you did, and that that's like probably up there with any win I've ever had in my career. <laughs> um, where are you living? What are you doing now? Someone told me a while ago that you were like the greatest, uh, uh, the, 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 what's the, the cat show with the crabs? Um, whatever that is. Uh, the show, oh, I don't know. the greatest cat show. Like you were doing that. You were crab fishing somewhere and you were, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, when I got out of the motocross in like 87, I think, I had a uh, you know a tough couple of years. I eighty five was my big year. Right. You know everything was coming together, and of course that's the year they went from uh, you know having the one twenty five two fifty N five hundred on the same day, and then they went to the you know production rule, and the two fifties half the year five hundred right. half the year one twenty five support, and so everyone's there like ah oh, this is gonna that's what you've been waiting for your whole life you'll finally be on equal equipment and all this. And, Mm-hmm. It ended up really hurting me because I, you know, I had some really exciting stuff lined up for '86, and then once they did that, of course, they didn't need two five hundred, two two fifty, and two one twenty five riders. They yeah. needed, you know, one good one twenty five rider. So like that's when Honda hired Mickey Diamond. So I was kind of like, even though I had a great year in '85, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of left out. And then I was hurt by that. So instead of just you know, taking my medicine and proving myself, 
I just switched over to Yamaha, and I never got comfortable on the bikes. Yeah, it, it was. You know, uh, that was about the last time I ever really, you know, it was just a, pretty much a little decline from there. But uh, so anyway, after that, 87, I rode for Kawasaki, and I'd been on Hondas my whole life. And so I went through the, after I rode them, I rode Yamaha, Suzuki, uh, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki, and then I ended up going uh, sword fishing with one of my friends who had, who'd always done that, and I always wanted to go, and it was a great experience, and then I did the offshore lobstering, and then I went... Oh, so you did do all did that, okay. did the fishing yeah, in Alaska yeah. one year, so... Yeah, that's where that came from. It was quite an experience. What, have you seen the TV show? Is it just like that? Yeah. You're dropping pots exactly. in, and then you're going... You know, yeah. The only thing is, like you know, imagine if they did a series of the motocross races, and they'd... Uh, and they just show the racing mm-hmm. and not you driving from <laughs> Vegas yeah, yeah. to right. Ohio. So it's like right. they get their auto. They don't show the six days you're steaming out to the area. You gotta be fishing, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's very, you know, they do a good job. That's one of the few shows they do watch. Uh huh. They oh. just don't show the stuff that you know the boring stuff. The scenes, right. Like, yeah, dude, some of those... Everything just happens immediately. <laughs> dude, some of those Where, storms are nuts. Like, they're insane uh, out there. Yeah. Right? I was in that perfect storm they had. I was fishing during that. Really? Remember that younger yeah. book? He had yeah. the perfect... Yeah, I was actually on... Uh, I was actually working for Bob Brown, who owned the Hannah Bowden, and the, uh, the other one there. I was working for his son, Peter, when that whole thing went down. And I had actually... <laughs> it's kind of scary. I had actually... That one boat always was looking for crew members, and I turned them down a couple of times. But I'm, I'm not exaggerating. There was a, you know, there could have been a real chance I would have been on that boat. No way, really. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah, that yeah. is nuts, man. And and again, that's yeah, it's the crazy. Andrea Gale. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, Andrea Gale. Crazy. Um, yeah, nuts. Uh, nuts time. So, what are you doing now? What's uh, what's JoJo Keller up to? Where you live? What's going on? Well, once I quit, uh, you know, I got done with the sword fishing, and then I came back, rode a little bit. But in the meantime, uh, my uncle, who was always my mechanic, mm-hmm. Splint Brewster, he actually got hired uh, in 82. He actually got hired uh, by Honda before I did. He was a great mechanic and a great guy. And uh, mm-hmm. he was a, a horseshoe or a farrier okay. when I was younger. So I always used to go with him, and I grew up on a farm, and... My sister was, uh, you know, she showed horses and everything. So I was basically trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do after motocross. Right. For some reason, I wasn't quite as good about saving money and all that <laughs> stuff as the other guys were. Yeah. And, uh, and so I ended up going to horseshoeing school in Martinsville, Virginia. Okay. Where uh, another good sideline there is my uh, my instructor down there was one of Richard Petty's best friends. So they used to hang around every night. So I'd be like seeing Richard Petty every night. And stuff. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was right next to Lake Sugar Tree, right next to Gary and David's place on there. And uh, hmm. so I went to horseshoe school. And then when I got out of there, I didn't go right away. You know, that's when I raced Unadilla. Yeah. did a couple more races. And uh, then after that, I started shoeing every day and, Made it a career for like, uh, you know, 15 years. Wow. It's a pretty lucrative, you know, I did really well with that. And then uh, after that, I um, ended up, you know, working with uh, Ziggy's buddy, Mike Grondo there. Yeah. For the Planet Fitness thing. I worked for Eric Grondo, his son, for a while. And I worked for Chad Charbonneau and Jimmy Dakotas. 
was a family friend. Yeah, I just, yeah. Uh, you know, I started out helping him out just for the fun of it, and then, you know, I ended up getting, uh, you know, Charvin, Chad asked me if I'd help him out, and, and so I did that, and that was really cool. And then um, I ended up, in the meantime, after motocross, I was looking for that something to, you know, try to rush, yeah, take something. the place of that competitive drive, uh-huh. and uh, I ended up getting into golf. So I got in, I got pretty good at golf. Made a couple, you know, U.S. Uh, mid amateurs, U.S. amateur stuff. And anyway, a twist of fate. He opened a golf club down the street from where I grew up, and mm-hmm. I ended up uh, trying to help the guy out. The first uh, week they were open, they didn't have enough guys, and they're like, "What are you, caddy? I'm a player. <laughs> I'll be a member here. I'm not going to caddy, but right. I'll help you out." And then, sure. As it turns out, I've been there every day since caddying. So oh, wow. Pretty much. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's pretty cool. Um, between this, the sword fishing and the crab fishing and the and the, the horseshoe uh, uh, shoer, you've <laughs> yeah. had jobs that are like, you should be like in 1830 well, England. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I talked to Dave Arnold, that's what he always like got a kick out of that, that all the different stuff I did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, really I've neat. I've been really lucky. A lot of great... Uh, a lot of great opportunities, and you know, after you rode motocross, it's kind of hard. I tried uh, doing it for a while. I mm-hmm. tried to take a job at a, you know, Brock and Cycle Center. They helped me out, you know, right. after, you know, Dick Bettencourt passed away and stuff, and, and Dave Larker from Brock and Cycle for uh, Brock and Cycle Center helped me out, and they tried everything to try to get me. You know, I just couldn't do it. You know, after mm-hmm. after racing, I just couldn't be in the shop trying to sell bikes. So. I needed a needed some kind of adventure, and it led to those things, and they they gave me plenty of it, so it's been great. Oh, that's cool! Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you're you're sitting there, you're caddying for people, and they're, they're maybe talking to you about your past, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I raced in stadiums, I got top ten Supercross, I had podium nationals before, and and uh, <laughs> you know, and they're like, what? Like dirt bike racer? What? Cat? My caddy is an right. ex dirt bike racer. Pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's cool because uh, I like. You know, I I know you're a hockey guy, and I grew up in New England. I was a big hockey player. Uh huh. You know, I remember statistic from you know when the Americans started breaking into the NHL at one point, when it got to be like twenty percent mm-hmm. U.S. players. Of that twenty percent, like ninety percent of them were from like a thirty-five mile area around Boston. <laughs> from where? Yeah, yeah, and stuff. yeah. And yeah. so this was a real hockey hotbed. Yeah. And of course, that all started because Bobby Orr right came to town and. You know, we won the cup in seventy and seventy two and he was my all time hero and stuff and then back in like uh ninety no, two thousand four, mm-hmm. we opened the club and like one of the first guys I caddy for was Bobby Orr. Oh wow. Awesome. And Derek Sanderson. And I'm there like, Oh my god, and I was trying to be professional <laughs> and like everything was going great. Right. They were great guys. Everything worked out good, and then at the end of the round, you know, you traditionally, you know, everyone takes their hat off and gives you a handshake. Mm-hmm. And it came time to do it with Bobby Orr, and like, I had tears streaming down my face. <laughs> no way! Funny. Oh wow, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So how's yeah. the, how's the game? Like, what's your handicap? Do you get to play much, or are you I'm one of those? Still guys? Pretty, you know, I was, I got really good for a while. I'm still probably like a three or four, but yeah, you know, I had that finally after. One of the few things I can brag about is like I, I never broke a bone racing, you know, and I got I got banged up pretty good, but mm-hmm. I never had any major injuries. And uh, 
but I just finally had that carpal tunnel surgery done yeah, uh, yeah. this spring because my hands just were falling asleep all the time, and it really affected the golf game. And mm-hmm. My wife was about to kill me if I dropped one more glass or something just because I couldn't feel <laughs> my hands. So I got uh, I got that carpal tunnel surgery done. So I got a late start this year, and as you know, the cobbler's kid goes with no shoes. I'm working at a golf course, so I don't play as much as I'd like, but I can still get it around pretty yeah. good. I mean – you know, I could shoot anywhere from 70 to 80 on any given day. So. I broke 100 one time, JoJo. It was the happiest day <laughs> in my life. I couldn't believe it. I never yeah. golfed. I, I fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, I needed something. I needed something. And I, you know, like everybody else, I always thought it was like, who the hell would play that game? But I did like watching it, and I liked like Tom Watson, mm-hmm. and stuff, who I've also caddied for. And, and like, Somehow, I just like I needed something to take the place of that racing and the competitiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it really fit the bill. And a few other yeah. guys did. I know Marty Tripes' brother Mike. He worked at Pro Circuit. Well, I know he was a really good golfer. And I hung around with uh, Dave Bailey and Steve Martin. Dogger golf. Steve, uh, Dog, sorry, Dog. a lot of breath. I just ran in up, but uh, yeah, uh, Steve Martin was pretty good. So we started playing, and I just really got into it. But my oh my, uh, you know my. Most of the times it gets you in trouble, but I was the type like I'd practice every day for six hours and I uh Jeez. OCD or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. just like within a week or two after I started playing I could break in, you know, eighty and so but well, it was cool. Well, I loved okay, it. this this probably the golf hand eye coordination, concentration, right. focus, right? Um mm-hmm. when you when people talk these JoJo stories are like he can wheelie a hundred miles. He can ride down a railway track without falling off. These are all legends of JoJo, but they involve hand-eye coordination and focus and everything. Do you yep. know what I'm saying? Yeah, the balance and the stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I could, I, unfortunately, I could do all the stuff like that the other guys couldn't, but I couldn't do the stuff that made you the money and <laughs> right, got right. you the moto win. But, but yeah, yeah, I was just ever since I was little, I never wanted to be anything but. I just remember telling people, like, you can't make this stuff up. I I remember being four or five, and people asked me what I was going to be when I grew up, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a professional motocross racer. Yeah. And they were looking at me. They didn't even know what motocross was. <laughs> right. And, and oh. so, like, I could wheelie a bicycle when I was young, but everyone thought it came naturally. But I'd be out there, I think, because of the whole reasons, you know, the overeating and overdrinking and stuff. But also when I turned it to something you know, something worthwhile. Like, I just, like, practice all day long. Yeah, yeah. My mother said the only time I ever cried when I was little was when it got dark and I had to get off the bike, you know? Like, everything so you did was, so like, extreme. Dark. Like, everything you did I was, was extreme. Hearted. It got dark out and I couldn't run. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um. it's funny. It's just, and, you know, I learned a lot from, you know, Hannah and those guys. Like, I heard your podcast with Keith about, you know, I was betting on stuff and everything, and, it reminded me, like, I felt bad because he was saying, like, he never did that good when he was younger. And I'm there, like, what he didn't tell you is he was blind as a, <laughs> he was as blind as could be. And I didn't find out till he was, like, 15 or 16. And uh-huh. we were going to uh, go skiing. It was, like, 20 below. And we're going to Burlington, Vermont. And, of course, we're having contests to see who could hold their hand out the window going 75. <laughs> you know, see who would bring the hand in first. Yeah. And then when that got boring, I said, okay, see who can read this next road sign first. 
Yeah, yeah. He'd be there, okay. And then I could see the exit sign or whatever and read it as plain as day for like 40 seconds. <laughs> and, and then he'd go, oh, exit 47. <laughs> and like, Are you serious? And he was like, he was riding totally blind. <laughs> and then he finally went to the eye doctor and he got glasses. But, you know, the glasses and the goggles don't right. work great. Then he got the contacts, so he'd be leading the moto. And the uh, contacts would fall out. <laughs> I truly believe if he had that whole vision thing figured out earlier, he would have been yeah. right up there with uh, Dowd and Henry and the national you know, stuff because he is one of the best riders I've ever seen by far. Yeah, he never... Uh... The only thing holding him back was his vision back then. And he didn't even know it. <laughs> he didn't even know it. Um, <laughs> so you're growing up. If you look at your results, like all the NESC guys, phenomenal results at Southwick. You can always ride the sand. Um, is it one of those things growing up, Like, was, that's where you rode? That's where you practiced? Just like Dowd, Henry, and KJ and those guys? I mean, is yeah. that is that kind of it? You can't even describe, Steve, how different, you know, how people, when you try to explain people nowadays, like how motocross and supercross are actually two different sports. Right. And I'll tell you, you know, not making excuses or anything, but switching from loam and sand to the blue groove and the hard pack and the red clay and everywhere else, even Florida is very similar Mm -hmm. to New England, but. You have places like Gainesville and yeah. Hard Rock where you can get some idea. There's not one place in New England that you can ride. I mean, there's some hard, skittery, rocky, bony sections, but it's all loam underneath. You right. never once get on something where, you know, like you do when you go to Carlsbad or Saddleback or Hancock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is the biggest, that's the toughest transition to make. And, you know, that's why I do have so much respect for Dodd, Henry, Jimmy Ellis, because they made the transition a lot quicker than I did, but I mean, I truly think that's why you don't see a lot more New Englanders coming up, and mm-hmm. you know who, who who make it farther than they do because I mean, people talk about local heroes and stuff, and it's not because they know the track; it's because they know how to ride in that you know mm-hmm. in that type of ground condition. And it's just sad. I mean, I remember in 1980, I was like. I won my first, I went to Florida Winter Series, won my first pro race ever, totally dominated the uh, Winter Series, and I was going to be the next big thing, and I went to, I went out to California, I got there the first week, it rained, so I didn't ride for a whole week, and then the next, you know, before Hangtown or wherever the first national was, trying to find a place to ride, then I got on this practice track, and I was, I mean, I'm literally, I just won every race at the Winter Mm -hmm. Series. Yeah. And amateurs and novices were blowing by me. <laughs> and I had no clue. And the harder I tried, wow. the worse it got. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, people have no idea. You know, I didn't know anything else. I'd never seen, you know, and even in, you know, northern Florida and Georgia, you got that red clay. That's, right. But we don't have anything like that whatsoever. And it's just like a whole different riding style. Everything's completely opposite. And, uh, I was thinking about that. I'm probably the only time in history I raced Hangtown or Saddleback in 1980, and I got like 12th or 13th, which was actually good for me. And mm-hmm. I got lapped by Donnie Hansen. And then the third race was at uh, Southwick. And like halfway through the race, I lapped Donnie Hansen. Yeah. When I mean, you don't see that type of... Uh, no. When you look at your results, I mean... 
you start off in 79, you get ninth at, at, at Southwick, your first national ever, I guess. Um, yeah, so well, that's that good. was actually third, but I got disqualified. I got penalized oh. a lap because that first turn, there was a pile-up, uh-huh. and they told all the flaggers and everybody, if you saw anyone cut the track, you got to tell us. And so I don't know if you know that second turn yeah. with all the tires, but I've got a picture of it. There was a huge pile-up in front of me, and so there was t- some tires way on the outside. And this goes back to the, you know, Jeff Ward riding backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, right. he used to have to turn around and go back in. Right. But everyone went wide of the tires. And then I ended up getting third that moto. And uh, some little 14-year-old kid said, number 235 went around the tires. <laughs> and so they ended up uh, putting me a lap down. That's why I got ninth. But, Shit. Well, you know, I could have won that race. You got you got second in 80. You got uh, third yeah. in 81. Like, like you would, yeah. the race would come to Southwick, and 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 like you would be, just. I mean, you're privateer yeah. at this point, right? Are you getting some support from Honda at all, or Suzuki, or not? Yeah, anything? in 1980, I got a like, thanks to Mike McAndrews. Mm-hmm. He saw me in the uh, Winter Series the year before that in '79. I actually went down to '79, mm-hmm. and I won my first pro race. And like going against Kippy Pierce and you know all the factory guys and all those guys. And Mike McAndrews noticed me, and he was working for Fox at the time. And he became, you know, friendly with my mom and my sister. Mm-hmm. And so he told them they ought to give me a shot, and so they did. And that was the year they had, uh, you know, uh, Larry Wosick, Lenny Geiger. Mm-hmm. They had a bunch of guys, and I was like Tom Benolkin, and I was like the low man on the totem pole. But I won the Winter Series, and... uh you know, that year at the Nationals, the first moto, I crashed like six times <laughs> wearing a helmet. You know, that, you know, they told me I had to wear the Simpson helmet, and my head's huge. It's like Jeff Stanton and I both take size eight. Yeah. And so, like, the thing was falling in my eyes. I crashed literally like 10 or 11 times, and I ended up getting third. Then the next moto, that was the year Howerton was having, like, a, um, a Carmichael or Stewart-like season. Right, yeah. He only got beat twice that year, and I started, like, 10th, passed Howard, and pulled out a, like, 55-second lead, won easily, and I'm looking back the whole time, mm-hmm. and Marty Tripes has, like, a 30-second lead over Howerton yeah, yeah. at Southwick in the last lap, and how do you get a flat tire Southwick? I don't know. Got a flat at <laughs> yeah. He gets a flat at Southwick. He can't make it up the finish line hill. So he pushes the bike up the hill. He's just about to go over the finish line. Howardson passes him. So he went 1-2. I went 3-1. Oh, the overall. damn. So that's, that's the one I lose sleep over still to this day. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's 81? Yeah, no, I did well yeah. at all the rough, yeah. you know, the rough tracks. I just wasn't good at the hard pack. And then that's one thing I was proud of myself. I learned how to ride the hard pack. And, you have a podium you know, here. You time. have a podium at Carlsbad. That's as hard as it yeah. comes, man. Yeah. yeah I, won, I won a moto at... I mean, I'm not, you know, I just, I feel bad because there's all those, uh, you know, I've never, everyone's there, what races did you win on there? Well, I never actually won, but <laughs> I did win three national motos as a privateer and not yeah. many guys on that and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, that year at Carlsbad, I was like, I was feeling so good. And uh, I had just learned how to, you know, I finally figured out how to ride the hard pack. Mm-hmm. You know, I got third against and that. You know, You're like, sounding like the sounding like the back in my day guy, but that was like 
Schultz, Magoo, Bell. Yeah. I mean, there was like twelve guys on factory bikes on the line. So, um, when but, do you when do you meet Hannah, and how do you guys strike it up so good? Like, how do you guys become such buddies? <laughs> That's the funniest one ever, too. It was at the Winter Series, uh-huh. and I had seen him before, and I actually. Once again, it was the craziest thing ever. He was my, I had two heroes, mm-hmm. Nicola and Hannah. Yep. I liked Ben Auberg, but then all of a sudden, Mikey, I loved Roger mm-hmm. and Joel and those guys, but I went to those, uh, I used to go to those Canadian GPs even before your time. Yeah. Like Hopetown and all those. Yeah. They used to have 500 GPs. At Quebec, right? There was one in Quebec. There was one in Quebec, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually saw Heike on the, you know, on the Husky just dominate everybody. I loved the way he rode and stuff. And Jimmy Ellis was there, and he was a hero. But then when Hannah came in '77, my uncle, you know, and I worked at a Yamaha shop, so we were all about Yamaha. And then Hannah came, and I mean, I just like wasn't, you know, he was my hero, right. Ronald Nicola, and then. In 79, like two years later, I'm on the line with him at Gainesville, and <laughs> I pass him, and I'm, like, leading the race to 30 minutes, and my, you know, my bike broke or something. And yeah. So he came over and said something to me there, like, who the hell are you? You know, typical Hannah fashion. <laughs> and then, uh, so then in 82, you know, he was riding for Yamaha, I was riding for Honda. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, he'd, like, kind of say hi to me, or, and then yeah. in, uh, 85 or 84 actually he just like started talking to me and we became friends i think because i was so new england and so yeah yeah completely he, he thought different you than any, yeah, he just thought you were awesome he just like this guy yeah he yeah. just like he got a kick out of me so we'd go to lake mead and you know a bunch of us at the end after the season was over we'd go to lake mead and get a few houseboats and they'd all be out there and i'd be doing all the stupid stuff like <laughs> You know, all the tricks and the juggling and the jokes. Yeah, yeah. I think he just got a kick out of me. And uh, he said, hey, do you want to come stay with me when you're out west? And I'm like, like, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, to this day, Uh I wasn't kidding about the Tim Ferry thing, stuff like that. The fact I'm, you know, the fact I'm friends with Roger DeCoster, Bob Hanna, Mitch Payton, Ricky right. Z and those and Glover and those guys. That means more to me than any win. That's probably why I didn't do better. You know? Right, but right. You know, I had a that, I had a buddy. Means the world to me. I had a buddy, uh, a Canadian guy, top Canadian guy in the early nineties, and and he was a he was like us, where we're, he's a fan of the sport, and right. he was running top ten to fifteen in the five hundred nationals in like ninety three or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and he was always like telling me he's like. I can't, I was racing with chicken and I'm racing with Somo and he's like, I used to just freak me out cause I'm such a fan. I could exactly. not believe yeah, I could not. This guy was like, I cannot believe I am legitimately going faster than chicken and I could get him, you know, right. and things like that. That's where, what happened yeah. to me. And I wasn't awestruck by any stretch of the, you know, it wasn't that I was awestruck or anything like that. It was just like, it was <laughs> you just so, couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> right. you know, half the time I was like, you know, you know what it's like. I, I mean, I always thought I could win. And then when, like, I was riding as hard as I could and the guys were going twice as hard, twice as fast as me, it was really hard to accept before I learned how to ride that hard back. Mm-hmm. You know, so you wanted to quit, but you knew you couldn't quit. And then, you know, I think it was one of your, uh, I finally understood it when I heard one of you, I think it was when you were talking to Rick Johnson, mm-hmm. talking about he and Ward battling. Right. 
that year they just like were at Carlsbad and they just like watch each other ride. I was there and like, you know, I saw what was going on, but you know, that's when I realized like that's what's cool about motocross. It's like when you're out there racing and stuff, you think everyone's, you know, noticing your results and watching you and mm-hmm. especially if you got an inferiority complex. I'm so like if someone was faster than me, I'd like I'd never do it consciously, like quit or anything, but I think subconsciously You'd never go quite go hard as you could because you didn't want to just feel as though. And then I realized later, it's like, that's the stupidest thing, you know. <laughs> if you just try your hardest yeah. every time, right. you get the utmost respect. And, you know, who knows, you may end up. And that's what I learned from, you know, one of your part with Johnson said that about, like, he'd win one week, I'd win the next. He'd win. And that's what you have the respect for, you know. But yeah. when I was getting... When I'd come in, like, my uncle was the best mechanic ever, coolest guy ever. My dad got killed when I was younger, mm-hmm. you know, when I was, like, three or four. So okay. he was like a father to me, and he was, like, by far one of the best mechanics I've ever seen. But the whole psychological end, like, I'd come in from practice, and he'd come over with a big smile on my face, not trying to put me down or anything. Yeah. But he was such a fan, too. He'd be there, like, <laughs> Ken Harden was, like, four seconds a lot faster than you. <laughs> And I'd be like looking for approval, and like he'd come in and say that, and I'd be devastated. And he wasn't trying to say it at all. He was just—he's like, so yeah. amazed how fast how the guy was going. Was. And I'd be there. Meanwhile, I'd be there. Oh my god, what have I got myself into? You're like, I'm raising these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, you see, in theory, you know, the egomaniac with the inferiority complex. I always—I figured they had something. Like when I started riding with Hannah, mm-hmm. you know, I knew he was how good he was and stuff. But I watched every, you know. I figured if I watched what he did, I could beat him, you know, once I figured out. And I never said I didn't have the good equipment or my weight or anything like that. And that's why I used to get frustrated with Keith and stuff with those guys because when John and Doug made it so big, and uh, I used to think Crad and Keith were kind of like, they were all buddies and they ride together all the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, they'd be there like... I do well, I get second, but Dodd won, so it doesn't count, you know. And I, <laughs> and I used to get mad, but I realized they were smart, and I was just like, yeah, you know, like, I never, I had that, even though I had kind of inferiority complex, I always figured I could beat him if I worked hard enough yeah, right. or something, you know. You didn't like losing, so, and I didn't have to hate him the way Hannah did. That's why I loved, you know, motocross, because people couldn't say what they want about mm-hmm. you know, you're racing the racer, but I always raced the track. I wasn't one of these guys, you know, Ross told me a long time ago, I made a big mistake, you know, not using my size and strength to my advantage. Right. You know, because I was always worried about what people were thinking and stuff. And, you know, I didn't understand the whole, you know, now I understand it. Why Emmett got so much respect where, you know, he'd get the whole shot and someone's faster. He'd do everything he can to keep him behind him. Yeah, yeah. And I was like the exact opposite. I'm there like... You're like, oh, I got to get, right. get out of the way. If he caught me that quick, there's nothing I can do. So I'll study his lines and try to figure out what he's doing, you know. Right. It turns out it ends up, you know, I was just more of the, you know, purest type of, like, I'll figure this out. And so I wouldn't use the size and strength. You know, a lot of guys will, who I've slammed or whatever throughout the years will probably say that's bull <laughs> it's bull crap. You know, I could have been a lot, you know. I was really good at the balance stuff and everything, and it was really hard to knock me off the bike and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, people ask you who was the toughest guy to pass and all that. And, like, by far Jim Hawley and Ross were, but, you know, we got we could slam into each other and mm-hmm. 
everything. And one of us wasn't, you know, wasn't going down. And with the other guys, I mean, I hate to sound like a jerk, but I could take someone out anytime I wanted. If, I wanted. <laughs> if you really you know wanted I mean? to, right, yeah. I was 240 pounds. They were 120. Yeah. But I never really used that. And I'm glad I didn't. But now looking back, there was a lot of times I should have used that to my advantage. But um, when you know. when you uh, you told me before we hit record that you lived with Hannah for a while, and it sucked because you could only talk to a few guys because Hannah had you hating everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, I had sneak around. I didn't want to see him. I didn't want me see him, him to see me talking to he, you know one of the guys he was battling with at the time, but. But uh, that was the coolest. How about like you know, uh, the reasons? How about RJ and Morty's story? Like, where before the Disnations, he wouldn't yeah. practice with them. He wouldn't meet them out there. Right. He hated everybody. Yep. He hated. <laughs> they're like, dude, you're, we're on a team together. It didn't matter. <laughs> Hannah didn't care. He still hated them. Exactly. That's the way he is. And he's like, that's the way he was. But anything you've ever heard about him and all that stuff, it's just like, it's almost like you know. Like I told you, I've been blessed enough to caddy for a few famous mm-hmm. people and, like, live with Bob Hanna, who's, and, like, the only thing I could tell anybody is, like, everything you think you believe or anything, like, as cool as it seems on screen and in the magazines and everything, mm-hmm. it doesn't even come close to how cool these guys really are in real life. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. It's just, like, they just talk about winners, you know? They just do everything they they do everything right and the drive and all of that stuff is just like you know, if that's what he had to do I understood it but you also talk to Bailey and stuff now and then and mm-hmm. how much like he might have said something to him once to really help him or whatever and yeah he had that whole attitude and everything but most of it was just you know who was that White Sox pitcher who used to have to hate the guys you batted against Jack White or oh Black yeah Jack McDowell yeah Jack McDowell yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's like. For some reason, he had that, and you know, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, you know, getting to spend time with him, but it also hurt me quite a bit because that was right when the tracks were changing and everything. And like, I used to jump, be one of the first guys to jump anything and everything. And then all of a sudden, Hannah started talking about you know the jumps are dangerous and stuff, and <laughs> he was absolutely right. Yeah, I never even thought about it before. You know, and then, all of a sudden you're like, hey, wait a minute, and they're like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing that, and I definitely. You know, I I still to this day, I mean, I love Supercross and everything, but when they started changing everything, where the grooming, the grooming of the tracks is what killed me. Mm-hmm. You know, I could only, I mean, I was good. I've got just as good a chance as anyone on a hard packed, smooth track, but I can't make up four seconds a lap somewhere just because I wanted to hold it wide open through the rest of the section. Yeah, track. exactly right. I mean, yeah, just use your strength. I mean, Supercross right? yeah. the whoops. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to, if I went to, a, I almost wanted uh, the Rose Bowl in 85 because they had a a long uh, whoop section there, and Bowen and I were the only ones, you know, I'd make like four seconds a lap every time through the whoop section, like right. a third, the first one, that's when they had two. Two, two mains, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, I needed, I didn't have that patience where you could just like set up, you know, okay, yeah. in five laps. I'm going to take that one corner a little tighter, and that five laps from now is where I'm going to pass that guy. Yeah. You know, I like those big gnarly whoops or something. We just, like, muscle through it. And, uh, you know, so when all the tracks started getting just groomed between every race, I didn't have much of a chance. Uh Uh-huh. You know, because I just liked the wounds. Did you – 
when you were hanging out with Hannah, 84, 85, did you ever jump on his factory bike? And was that the worst thing that maybe ever no. happened to you? Okay. Nope, I never did, but don't forget I was riding for Honda's production team in 82. Uh-huh. And Daryl Schultz had the knee injury. Yeah. And this is the honest to goodness truth. That's when Schultz had the knee injury. Right. And so. Yeah, he won in 81, He right? wasn't riding yeah. during the week, so Chris Haynes would get there, and all the other mechanics would be done. And Chris, like, you know, he knew what to do, and he did it as good as anyone, but he had a little different schedule than those guys. And so all the other guys would be all done, and then Chris would show up. And I was at this track, and it's like a three-minute and 40-second lap time near Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. And I'm out practicing. I'm just about to finish. And that's when the lap times, we never did lap times much back then, but that's when they were starting to, like, DeCoster turn that all around. Mm-hmm. He's the one who really started paying attention to lap times, like when he first came to Honda. Right. And so, um, so everyone was there taking lap times and stuff, and, Chris Haynes comes up to me and goes, "Oh, JoJo, um, I got a real favorite. I'm really sorry, but um, I got Daryl's bike together. He's not around. And I got to break it in. Is there any way you would you mind going out there and uh, doing a few laps on it?" Uh-huh. And this was, uh, I'm there like, "Are you kidding me?" And I did it, and I swear, like I say, I try not to make excuses about the equipment, but right. So my mechanic timed me, and their mechanics timed. And I think I got like six at the race that year. And the first lap I did, just breaking the bike in, like I said, it was three minute and 40 second lap time mm-hmm. up in the altitude. And like I was like four seconds a lap faster. Jeez. Yeah, you're like, oh man. The first lap yeah. I did. Thanks everybody for listening to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com Racer X podcast. Thanks for listening, man. These things are going great. And I'm stoked with the responses from everybody. And uh, you guys have been doing a great job with the downloads. Don't forget the Fly Race and Moto 60 show on Thursdays, the Pulp MX show on Mondays, the NFAB Racer X Fantasy show sometime in the middle of the week, and the Motorcycle Superstore, they're a passionate team who speak moto. If I'm talking about going riding, bench racing from the latest company ride to the latest parts and gear, this is what drives them to be a place for you to check out all things motorcycles with the top brands in gear, accessories, tires, parts, and apparel. You want to save there. they got everything you need to get out and ride. Go to the website to check out their inventory of brands, uh, over 700 of them. Do you speak moto? If you do, go to MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Use the code PB-PULP16 to uh, 10% off participating brands. PB-PULP16 saves you money. All right, let's get to these commercials from Racetech and Michelin and MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Thanks for listening. See you after the break. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you... And probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. 
You want to save 10% at uh, Racetech? Go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right. Back to the show. Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the, the CCT. So you're telling me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension in tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelins uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this... Um, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting, traction, handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing. Now yeah, Bailey, Bailey's yeah, Bailey, said, uh, Bailey told us right. Bailey told a story uh, just this week in an interview. You go eight one and eighty five because Bailey moved down to two fifties. But you right. actually told David, "Hey, this thing's kind of slow," and he was like, "Yeah." Oh no! Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, it's like I was riding that Boys and Link bike most of the year. Okay, which was awesome. That was a great experience. That thing really worked well. But obviously, the coolest bikes in history. RC 500. Right. They're like, Honda's there, like, and that's when they were talking because I think they didn't know at the time whether the AMA was really going to change to that format they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was kind of like, hey, good job this year. Hey, you want to ride a works bike the last race? Because David's riding the 250 on there. Are you kidding me? It's working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went up and met Eric Krippa, who I always loved. And, uh, and we go to this little, you know, since... I mean, what is that more near Portland, Washougal? Washougal, yeah. Yeah, it's more near Portland than Seattle, right? I, yeah. I just yeah. forget. I think we're in Oregon, yeah. some little tiny, because, you know, he used to work with Chuck's son up there. Right. So he knew all the little areas. Spots, so yeah. We go to this little tiny practice track and get the bike dialed in. And it's really, it's just everything I thought it was and more. The big thing for me was the brakes. I mean, everything else is cool, but the brakes. The brakes yeah. on those bikes. I used to actually have trouble, you know, stopping. I couldn't go as fast as I wanted because the brakes weren't as good, you know, as I wanted them to be. And the brakes on those things were so good. And the bike felt great. And so I go the next day, and I'm, like, never more confident. And the one, the, you know, the 500 class was a little undermanned that year, especially mm-hmm. with David, you know, not racing that one. And 
And uh, so I just, like, I knew I was going to win. The only time I've ever had that kind of confidence. Right. And so the gate drops, and everything felt great up until that point. And the gate drops, and I let the clutch out. And for some reason, you know, he had raced it at Sal. I mean, Carlsbad was like the week before that, and he mm-hmm. won. Yep. And so we did that practicing, and I never noticed it because we never did any starts or anything. But the clutch was just like totally slipped all the way down the start straight. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and it was the dustiest day ever. The first lap, I had to stop like four times before I could see because they used to go back in that moon yeah. dust. Yeah, yeah. And so I like finally made my way up to eight. And, there. and once again, I think that like, once again, I got the chance of a lifetime and something weird happened. And <laughs> the second motor I went out won by like a minute and a half or something. Yeah. Yeah, you but yeah eight, it eight wasn't one. as fast as I thought it was, but it was really good. Right. It was just yeah, the fit and finish and everything It was just else. like riding a really good 250 with all oh. the extra power you could want that a 250 didn't have. Yep. And handled just as good as a 250, you know, so it was cool. Um, when you look at your results here, um, oh, by the way, that, that 85 year, too, Millville. So you get second yeah. in the first moto. I have a video of it. Second moto, you're gone, and you get a flat front tire. See some of stuff. I've never seen myself arrive, so yeah, that was uh, the saddest day ever. You got seen. a flat front tire. You were gone. You were checking out. It was going to be your overall. Dude, I, to, I hate to say this because I've got the utmost respect, but he knows. I passed, I got a flat, David passed me, I passed him back with a rear flat with a couple laps to go, <laughs> and then I got a front flat <laughs> on the last lap. Yeah, I, uh, I'll send you this thing. <laughs> and then, it's yeah, awesome. I broke the wheel that second one where I was gone, but yeah, I, that was a really rough track. And, yeah. You know, just, um, in 83, anyway. in 83, did you ride two races only and you were on Mako? Bad year. I, that okay. was the year that was devastating after I got third at Carlsbad. Yeah. I really thought something was going to happen with Honda uh-huh. or somebody. And it was like this year, there's just like, I didn't get offered any support from anyone except for Sal called me from Mako. And I had been battling against these open Makos for years, right. thinking like, if only I had one of those, I'd kill anyone. And I talked to Arlo <laughs> England at a Legends thing this year at Unadilla. And he was telling me about riding somebody's Mako the year he rode in 80, the year he rode for Team Tam. And, mm-hmm. you know, he got, like, top privateer, and then he rode someone's Mako, and he was, like, five. Same story I told you about riding the Schultz bike. Yeah, yeah. And so I was so excited. I finally had a good deal, and they were actually paying me some money. And and that was the year they went bankrupt, like, two weeks later or two, <laughs> two months later. <laughs> So that's why yeah. I, I didn't have. So you didn't get hurt. You just didn't get on the road. Yeah. So you just didn't. Yeah, I got hurt road. in St. Pete yeah. first Winter Series race. Mm-hmm. But I tried to go to the national, but the bike was, you know, I had, you know, everything just didn't work out that year. But right. So I regrouped, and then I found some friend of mine who was in the construction business. Why are you racing? And I kind of told him. So he offered to uh, help me out a little bit, and so the last two races. Uh, the last national was at Washougal. Mm-hmm. No, I raced the GP in 84. Okay. At, at, at Unadilla. Uh, Unadilla? won that. Yeah, in 84 at Unadilla. So that's the only problem with the ball. They don't have the results. I know. I, I remember the photo, and I remember you did well. Dogger won. Yeah. But I uh, yeah. I didn't know what you did. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, I, I like, led. Uh, anything I say sounds like sour grapes, but, you know, those are just <laughs> my faces, but they're the ones I think about because, I never did quite as well as I should have for some reason or other, but those were races I pretty much had in the bag if something crazy didn't happen. But, but uh, yeah, I lived for those. Unadilla, that's how I started. 
Remember I told you I'd tell people I wanted to be a motocrosser since yeah. the time I was little? And, you know, that all happened when I went to Unadilla. And I saw them. And I, my goal, everyone says you have to have goals. And my goal in life was just like, I just want to get good enough to be able to race at Unadilla. <laughs> That's it. And That's then the, Unadilla yeah. became such a huge thing for me because they had the USGPs. And uh-huh. I did my first one, you know, in 80. And it's like, it was my dream come true. Then the one year I was really... Riding good. Honda wanted me to ride the support class in 82. Mm-hmm. And I ended up winning that. So um, it was cool, but that's the only time I ever rode the support class in my life. And I probably should have done stuff a little differently where, you know, I went right out, you know, from I'd only been expert for a year and a half when I went and raced the Pro Series where the other guys in New England were, you know, riding for a long time before mm-hmm. that. But. And that's the whole thing, the whole other thing. I just had such a good New England back then was so competitive. Yeah. Probably paid pretty well, too, right? Probably paid well? Yeah. Tennessee-wide? Yeah, Yeah. really good. Between the contingencies and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. it was really good. Um, I mean, they'd have – I mean, I remember sometimes walking out of there with – I remember my uncle, like I said, we went to the Winter Series, and he had to fly back to the awards banquet – Cause like I got a check from like thirty five thousand from Honda or something. Yeah, wow, jeez. And we needed that to go racing. So. <laughs> um, yeah, just from a contingency. So eighty five. You talked about this earlier. So eighty five. You had a killer year. Uh, almost won some motos. Did well in Supercross, like decent in Supercross. You were hoping Honda yeah. could put something together, but they couldn't. They downsized their team. Did you get help because from Yamaha? Rule change. Yeah. Did you get the? Yeah, no, they gave me a nice deal. And the money bikes or just bikes? Or? I loved Yamahas. I grew up riding Yamahas and stuff. But I went from that Honda to the Yamaha, and I went to Europe. And I like was just as fast as anyone. I went to the Winter Series. That was the year Vandervin. Uh huh. Vandervin. Hannah were there, and yep. I was like. I was riding just as good, and then uh, I just started losing confidence because I wasn't used to the bike. And so, I, you know, I was always, like I say, I was a little, I hate to use the, I was a little bit of a wimp out there. You know, I'd only go good when, I never really took the chances some of the other guys would take. Uh-huh. And so, but I was riding really confident then, and, and I'm not saying the Yamaha was bad, but I tried to do the same stuff that I was doing, and then I'd find myself on the ground. And it was like, whoa. And so it didn't take long before I lost a little confidence. And I went from my favorite bike of all time to one of my least. You know, I went from that 85 CR, who no one liked. Liquid cool. Yeah, yeah. And that was the only time I ever had a bike that was as fast as I wanted to be. (laughs) And I went back to that 490, which was a fine bike, but it didn't suit my riding style. And the 250 was a good bike, but it wasn't quite like the Honda and the foot pegs were. I just never felt comfortable when that really. I, I've done and like Wardy yeah. and all those guys were in the magazine saying that ah, this is going to be JoJo's year because I'm on production bikes. He's the one I think will benefit the most from the rule. Mm-hmm. It absolutely killed me. But. <laughs> you were like, oh man. Um, well, oh, there was man. such a difference in the early to mid 80s and even late 80s for Hondas yeah. and every, to everything else. Just works bikes, right. uh, production bikes, whatever you yeah. want, however you want to say it. Just Hondas yeah. were so much better. And, you know, I did one of these. With I didn't need much because don't forget, you're talking to a. I was like, I mean, DeCosta came to me in 85 once, and I had this real thing about, uh, you know, when I when I started, when I turned pro, it was 1979-80, so the, the Elsinore just came out. Mm-hmm. And so I always rode the Hondas, and like, 
anytime I ever tried an aftermarket part or something, it would break. And so I would only ride OEM stuff. And it used to drive my sponsors and mechanics crazy. Because, like, <laughs> I didn't trust anything else. It wasn't until 86 when Mitch started helping me the first time I ever put an aftermarket pipe or anything on my bike. Really? I mean, I'd put good tires <laughs> yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. And I'd put different grips. Other than that, I wouldn't change because I was... But And that Vegas race, I was riding really good, and that track was really rough. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, Costa came up to me and said, what spring rates are you running in your bike? And I'm there like, oh, see, I just got the stock one. So I was like 240. And I was running, you know, and I just passed Glover and Bailey and motored away from him. And I was using stock, stock springs. springs. 81, that 3.3 that three at Southwick in 81, mm-hmm. that bike was... That was one of the best handling bikes ever, but one of the slowest, that 250RM81. Uh-huh. And I started on the Honda, and that was the worst, the only bad year for Honda ever, that 81. I lost my nose at Daytona on it, so I got on that Suzuki, and, like, I literally was riding wide open around the whole track. Yeah. And, like, they, and uh, Howerton and Hannah were just, like, and that was the one time where I just, like, could see the difference the bikes made. Uh-huh. Most yeah. of the time, it's always the rider. Yeah. Know? If I was on the best bike in the world, those guys are still going to beat me at most of the tracks. Right, you know? most but of the time, right. That was one time where I was riding as good as they were, and, mm-hmm. like, I, like, gained three seconds into them in the corner, and then we come out of the corner, and they'd, like, pull four seconds on me down the straightaway. Then I gained four seconds, and then they just, it was, like, crazy. But the thing was box stock, because I was such a You're... lunatic. I wouldn't let them do anything yeah, to the bike to make it stiffer or faster. That's nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> What's yeah. wrong with you, JoJo? <laughs> I know. Um, um, did you uh, yeah. did you ever get serious about training? Did you ever, like, try and knuckle down and, like, lose yeah, a, bu- like, lose a bunch did, of weight I, and just no. did it? Just never yeah, stuck, really huh? Yeah, I did. And, yeah. uh, you know, I did in 86. I signed with Yamaha and mm-hmm. uh, Bob Rathcamp. Yep. You know, I was starting out AXO then, mm-hmm. and uh, they gave me a really, you know, he was really cool, Bob Rathcamp, and he, they were starting AXO, and I wanted to be like, you know, and they gave me a, you know, good deal with incentives and stuff, and so I lost a lot of weight and, and stuff, and but, you know, I just, yeah, no, I never did, uh, I never really did what I should have done, but I also was in a lot better shape than, you know, even when I was, like, in 85 and all those other years, I was putting in the time on the bikes and yep. running and everything. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't seem to, you know, uh, the, you know, yep. the overweight thing is just something that's plagued me forever. And no matter what I did, I just always, uh, you know, I did all the wrong things. When I really took it to the next level, I went to a trainer. He put me on a, oh, your problem is... Mm-hmm. You've got to eat all carbohydrates. So, like, I went on this diet, and I was, like, in really good shape, not much body fat. Now I'm going to take it to the next level, and he had me eating, like, brown rice and right. um, new potatoes. And, you know, I could feel myself gaining weight and stuff. But, yeah, no, I was always uh, yep. I trained really hard, but I wasn't disciplined enough to do everything it took, you know. So Han- Hannah's like, follow me. I'm going to run through the hurts. hills. I'm going to run through the hills. Follow me, Joe. Right. And I actually used to go out there with those guys and do it. But he, you know, they were, yeah, he was crazy. I mean, I had a legendary mountain bike race against Brian, his mechanic out in Boise, where we had this huge bet <laughs> where we had to go over this mountain and back. Uh-huh. You know, and he killed me the first half and the whole second half was downhill. And 
I was going like 100 miles an hour, so I didn't lose the bet. <laughs> I just missed him at the end, but yeah, that whole, you know, I used to ride with Kevin Hines in the woods. I was uh-huh. a woods rider. Yeah, yeah. Like, I love the enduro stuff way more than the motocross and everything. And in retrospect, you know, right around 86 or 7, instead of, you know, making a half-hearted attempt at still racing, if only mm-hmm. I had uh, done the GNCC stuff. Right. Because that was my true love, and I won one in 84, you know, when it started getting big, and it's cool because everything that happens in the sport nowadays, it's like when you get as old as I am, it's like you see all the stuff like, um, who is it, Alex and Jeremy Martin? Yeah. That race in 84, I had led the whole thing, and then I broke my shift, uh, my brake lever off the last lap. It was five, like, 28-mile loops. Uh-huh. And so John Martin, their father, was yeah. riding factory can Can-Ms, yeah. And so he caught me when I broke the brake lever, and the last five miles of that race was one of the most epic battles I'd ever had. <laughs> and I always remember that guy. And then I come to find out he's the guy who owns Washougal and... Millville. Alex and Jeremy. Yeah, yeah Millville. Oh. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Millville, sorry. <laughs> You're like, hey, and John was a small guy too. He used to ride the biggest bikes. He was like, it's a small oh guy. Oh my god, he was so good in the woods. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, I mean, the guy's on a can am. There's no way he's gonna be right. Yeah, this thing sucks. And right? They're like, whoa, he's pretty fast. Uh, what about in '93? You come out. You've been you've been retired for a while. You come out to Unadilla. You go eight eight in the 250 class, beating Lewis and Brooks and Dowdy, Smale and Fisher, mm-hmm. and you go eight eight like just. You have to been like, yeah, oh yeah. Jack was rough that day, and plus Ron Heben told me he was working for Chicken or something. And he said if I passed somebody who was ahead of me, he'd give me new plastic for the bike. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, I got a little lucky that day. I did get lucky because I could have. I mean, I started outside of the top 30 in both races, but, mm-hmm. you know, Dowdy, in his defense, he, he would have beat me, but he, uh, it was all moon dust, and I was old enough and experienced enough by then yeah. to know not to go out in those big berms, so yep. I was losing a little time, but I knew they were all going to suck dirt, so yeah, it was a guys suck dirt. So. It was a crazy day. But uh, still, I was like, I had been sword fishing. I had been doing all the <laughs> stuff, and like... I came back. I was like not drinking. You know, I'd been sober for quite a while. It's mm-hmm. just like I was at my favorite place in the world. And I came back the next year, and that was the biggest heartbreak ever because in 94, my only dream was to ride a 125 national because I was always best on 125, believe it or not. Uh huh. And uh, I just wanted to complete my career and ride a 125 national. And I was really going good, and I think I like have to practice. I was like ninth fastest, and I beat Craig <laughs> and those guys in my qualifier. Right. And that was the year they graded it because they had the first amateur race that year before yeah, yeah. they made the other track. Uh huh. So that was the first year they ever graded after practice in between motos, and that's when I was devastated. Because, <laughs> You're just like, oh man, that goes I, mean, I don't, man. I don't know what place I got. I was right around the top twenty, but. I mean, the track was just like not one bump on it. And then, you know, they realized what was going on, so they made the uh, amateur track after that. But, yeah, because Unadilla used to be my – that was my uh, my everything, you know. That's yeah, what yeah. got me wanting to race. And it was what I'd look forward to all year. You and Hurricane. Grass and you, practice. Yeah, you and the Hurricane, same deal. He loved it. He loved yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier Ross uh, Peterson, and, and if you've listened to these pods, you know he's my hero, my childhood hero. Do you have yep. – yep. what's your best rollerball story? 
Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because not long ago, because of that, because I heard from you about the uh, how you, you know, I heard on one of your podcasts about that, uh, what do you call it, the vault thing or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I watched it. It's so funny because I was really close. I loved Ross, and, and I love Canada so much, and I don't know if I ever raced against him up there, but, you know, I had so many good feelings about Canada because whenever the Nationals were on the East or something like that's the one place I've never lost an outdoor moto up there, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it was my favorite place to go. I was like lived in New England, northern New Hampshire, you know, Plymouth, Mass. And I just loved going there. And I loved the tracks, the fans, everything. And so I always, and then I loved Ross when I first met him, but it's so weird. You know how like those little things happen? And like it seemed like every other year, like 80, 82, mm-hmm. 84, 5, and then in those years, he didn't do anything, but 81, 83, all the years I told you about with the Makos. Yeah, yeah, when Yamaha, you were out, yeah. Those were the years he did great. <laughs> so I never got to battle with him as much as I should, but I will tell you, it was 1982, it was uh, Georgia, Road Atlanta, or something like that, mm-hmm. and like I, like I said, I didn't use my size and strength for my advantage, but I knew this guy was fast, but... I was cocky enough at that time that some guy with three digits or whatever, I was <laughs> yeah. like, who the hell does this guy think he is? Right. And I just, like, went into him and just slammed him as hard as I could. And, like, he hardly budged. <laughs> and then he passed me a lap later, slammed into me as hard as he could. And they're like, who wow. the hell is this guy? What? <laughs> who the hell does he think he is? And, like, that whole moto. That's when I realized, holy crap, there is someone up there. Yeah. This guy's big. You know, right. Normally, like, unless it was Rick Staten or someone. Right. When you outweigh everyone by 100 pounds, you're not really, you know, too worried about any repercussions or anything you want to eat. And uh, Ross is just like, and of course, I go over to him after the race, you know, and I'm wait- I didn't know if he was going to fight me or whatever, but he, like, Puts his hand out and says, that was one of the best motos ever. <laughs> right. And, uh, Sounds about like what Ross would in love say. With him. Right. And, uh, you know, and he was also cool. And I can't believe that, you know, like I say, we did have opposite years. All those yeah. winter series when I was doing really good. You know, the one year he did really good at the winter series was the one year he didn't go. And, right, right. But we still did hang around quite a bit. Um, like my last year, like 88, I tried to race a few races and stuff. And I got to spend time with him, and it was just like, because I thought he was the coolest. You know, I really, I can see why you loved him, because yeah. I did, too. Yeah, he was gnarly. Do you, uh... And everyone asked me who's the hardest guys to pass, and to this day, it's him and Holly were, like, yeah. by far the two toughest guys I ever had to try to pass. I, I, see, I see Jim all the time at the races, right? And it's just always so cool to talk to him, that Jim Holly, he's like one of the uh, nicest dudes ever, and he's got uh, great he's, stories. I could do a whole other story just now. You asked me about Ross stories, and right. I'm not going to make something up, but if you ask me Jim Holly stories, that could be a whole... <laughs> Three-hour well, segment because I do have a lot of those, and some and some probably that can't be told on radio. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's but um, um, one thing I learned from Jim, though, as much as he acted like the clown and everything, mm-hmm. one thing I'll never remember is like I was riding for Yamaha in '86, and he got a factory ride. Yeah, he was factory that year, and I remember Ron Heave and I, and uh, you know, because you know all those guys from Yamaha, so all the Yamaha guys. Um, where Ron Heaven and I and another Yamaha guy were playing golf. Mm-hmm. We had a tee time, 
and raw and uh roller i mean jim holly had the rental car yeah and so our tea time was like three o'clock and so they told ross he had to be back at 245 mm-hmm. and i mean they told jim he's gonna jim. be back at 245 it's like 230 and they're oh, great we're never gonna make it because we were stuck <laughs> out wherever we were yeah, yeah we were relying on the car and they're like there's no way he's gonna be here and I was so mad because I wanted to play. And then, like, I don't know if it was uh, Keith McCarty or one of the guys. One of the guys said, Jojo, calm down. Jim's never late. <laughs> and what? He goes, Jim's never Jim late. will never, never goes back on his word. That sounds and like Jim. It does. Yeah. 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 And, like, and then from then on in, I started noticing him. Like, although he acted like, you know, a wild man and stuff, he was, mm-hmm. like, the most professional, reliable person you'd ever know. Oh, that's so, funny. That was pretty cool. Um, I'll never forget that. Do you still have one of those red Betancourt jerseys? The purple one. Yeah. Purple, it's yeah. Orange and the purple. Yeah. Those are those are yeah. epic, man. Those are epic. I get more people asking me about those. It was funny, yeah. That was cool. Once again, that was John Betancourt. Cause the whole Betancourt family was great. Mm-hmm. Dick's in the Hall of Fame. He went in the same um He got in the same year as... Uh, as um, Mr. Coombs did. Oh, that's cool. You know, they yeah. got inducted the same year, Davey's dad. Yeah. And so that's always been special to me because I always, uh, you know, he was like a second father to me. He was like, I mean, dude, like I said, I came, I didn't have a lot of support, but once Betancourt got involved, I was the only guy. I was racing New England races, and I'd have brand-new Metzlers on both bikes between motos. Oh, wow. Just everything you know, for you. I was like yeah, a yeah. factory rider right, for right, those right. guys. It was so cool, and uh, and John was one of the best riders I've ever known, and David actually, you know, was like a second father. You know, he went out with my mom for a while, and um, his daughter Carol Betancourt's the best friend I've ever had. So it was like I was, just being involved with them is what really changed everything. Oh, so, that's cool. You know, and they had, but Mark, uh, John was a. Like, he was the first, like, Troy League. He was painting helmets before anyone I knew. And he had, like, if you look back through any archives, mm-hmm. if you see his bikes or leathers or anything, he was an artist. So he always had, like, the coolest stuff way before its time. He had the the helmets painted the way they are today and everything way back then. So he was, like, kind of, you know, uh-huh. ahead of his time on that. So um, so he loved, you know, the hippies. They loved the purple and orange. So. <laughs> that was rad. Uh, hey, you know what was funny was um, your name got brought up a lot when uh, that Paul Buckley photo came out about the scrub. Um, right. Yeah. You, pro- you probably heard from so many people about that. A, a that shot from. Yeah. What was the story behind that photo? Do you remember? Oh, that was just total. I mean, you know, I read stuff of the Pingree said and everything. I mean, so, oh, it's a whip, not a scrub or whatever, but it's like. You know, everything, I saw Marty Tripes do it in 1978 at Southwick. Okay. And I was looking for a way to go faster on the uh, 125. And, you know, everybody said, oh, you have the wheel turned the wrong way. Well, I, I tried to explain to someone. In the sand, I always turn it out, but on the hard pack, I turn it in. Uh-huh. <laughs> because once you hit, you don't want a high side or right. anything. And, like, the sand has the give. But, you know, that was exactly... I was doing the exact thing Bubba's and the boys are doing now in my mind. And granted, it was like 100% slower and not half as cool version as them. But yeah, yeah. I was scrubbing speed so I could get on the ground faster to go faster. And, uh, oh, that's cool. You know, it was 100%. Yeah. Ken Howerton, the only time I really talked to Ken, he was really cool. But in 82, the picture just came out right before 82 National. Okay. 
which was a 500, which was my third uh, moto win because the shock broke the first one. So I won the second moto, the 82 mm-hmm. Southwick National. And uh, how did their man, how bad was that crash when he saw the picture? I, mean, I didn't crash. <laughs> You're like, what? Like, what? <laughs> so, but, yeah, no, but I, it's embarrassing because, you know, anything I say doesn't sound good. But obviously Bubba took it to the next level mm-hmm. and all that. But, I mean, I showed it to Chad Charbonneau back before any of that stuff up and like Millsaps and all those guys were the first ones to really start. But uh yeah, I mean That's funny. It was an honor in a way, but it was like I didn't like any of the like, oh Jerry was the first. I mean you know, all that crap I hate, but it was like, yeah, I was definitely I was you know, hundred and ninety, two hundred pounds mm-hmm. riding the one twenty five against those guys and you know, so I would just literally every jump I'd do that just, just about and get the power back on the ground. And right. So, you know, I'm glad that did get a little um, recognition. But do I think it's better than the Bubba Scrub? Absolutely not. But, you know, everything, it's the whole thing. Every, we all have, uh, yeah, you know, I, think it's, I think it's progress. Yeah, it's, be bad. it's like anything. McGrath used to stay yeah. super low, and you'd be like, "How's he right. doing it? How's oh he doing God. it?" And, and best at it, yeah. right? But then, then you know, then James James took it to another level. You know, everybody kind of. But that's why I learned it was on a Schwinn Stingray. Oh, you that's know? funny. That's where I perfected that thing that I finally did on the bike. Uh-huh. It's just progressions. The whole thing was. Um, you know, I heard you talking about why the New England isn't as great because, uh, you know, sometimes the best thing, like Loretta's is probably the best thing that's ever happened in amateur racing. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, a big reason why New England isn't as competitive as anymore, you know, is because sure. a lot of people have to make their decisions. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. I, Everything. I looked at um, I looked at results from 1993 Southwick, and out of the top 20, 125 class, not, nine of them were local guys. Nine out of the top yeah. 20 were local dudes. Um, which yeah, and is everyone crazy. say they knew the track, but if you put them on any sand, <laughs> mud, or rock track, yeah. the results would have been the same. Yeah, that's what's sad about it. Um, know, I hate that dance. If I heard uh, in like 1982 or some, the only time I ever. You know, I try to be very calm and everything, but if I heard the word sand specialist one more time, I was going to murder something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, I was, I, that's a very touchy subject. When you were near the end, 86, 87, 88, um, and Dowd's there, 776 on a Cowie, um, are you like, are you like, that guy's got it, or that's going to be, he's a great, did you know him? Did you think he was a spode? Did you. Did you were you tracking yeah, no, were, were you tracking him yeah, at all? All about. I definitely tracked him, and I definitely knew because I saw Finkel Day the same way. Who didn't have the greatest, you know? God, he got so good, and mm-hmm. I admire him so much because I saw the transition he made from winning that mud race, which is just as important as any other race. Beat Jean Michel Bale. Yeah, everybody. But yeah. he was riding hard, and he couldn't ride the hard pack any better than I could. Mm-hmm. And some guys like Keith Johnson, he dirt track and stuff. And Keith Johnson, he was a natural. I mean, his throttle control and stuff. But poor Dowdy, he had just oh, talk about Finkel Day. Dowd didn't start racing till late either. Yeah, sixteen or whatever. And so right. he's under this pressure after he wins a national. And before my eyes, I saw him learn how to ride hardback in about like six months, just uh-huh. like. <laughs> At Ocala or at whatever that place was, it was the worst track yeah. ever. Yeah, Hard Rock. Yeah, Hard it was Rock. Some place was yeah, Hard yeah, Rock. Yeah, yeah, Hard Rock. Yeah. And he just used to pound that stuff till he learned how to do it. But yeah, I knew he was going to be good, and it was a bitter pill to swallow. You know, I did have the ego and stuff, and uh-huh. 
and uh, he, you know, beat me. I saw him getting the thing, and I was immature enough to let it bother me a little. So we had a few oh, little so things. You, you had a rivalry. But then you, I had, had the utmost. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I beat those. You know, I was like type. If something happened, like you know, the crowd got crazy, or you know, like something good happened to me that week, or something, I could still had the, you know, that uh, mental, you know, I could just like turn it up. So like, I went to a race like way after I'd won anything. He was eighty nine or something. Like Dowd and Henry were both there, and like it was in Maine at Bull Run, this track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I think it was the last time I probably ever won a, a race. I just remember those guys were there, and, like, I don't know if I was trying to impress someone or, like, something good happened that week, but I remember just, like, beating both those guys three out of the four motos, just coming from the back and passing yeah, yeah. them both. <laughs> and I think I was almost like I needed that, and then I finally, like, okay, now you guys go, you know. Right, right, right. You're I like, knew how good they were going to be. I could, I could you're tell. You're like, I can't, I can't hold them off great. much longer. I can't hold them off much right. longer. Right. <laughs> I just needed that, and then I started saying, okay, these guys aren't so bad at Right, right. And oh, that's I funny. I realized how great they were. And obviously, Doug, you know, showed signs earlier, but mm-hmm. I mean, the career Doug had, I mean, phenomenal. You have anything yeah. but an ad- admiration and love for that guy. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, it was crazy how good he's been and still is, you know. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, he, yeah. he, what was he, 44 when 45 yeah, when he, um, whenever he got like fifth at a national or something. Yeah, it was nuts. Right. Yeah. It was just insane. Yeah, I did have that little rivalry for a short time because I was way past my prime right. when he came up. But I do remember defending him because I remember Wardy had just retired from Kawasaki. And I always, Jeff, for some reason, was always like really cool to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we were at Southwick and we were watching, and that was during the, uh, you know, Kurdowski, uh, Larocco, Stanton yeah. years, right. kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I'm there, like, watch this guy. And Dad, like, was lead, you know, got a good start. And then mm-hmm. watch this Don. He can stay in front of those guys. And Wardy's like, no way. <laughs> You're wrong. And, like, as usual, he was right. That was the first year, you know, Dad got, like, fourth because those guys beat him. But from then on in, he yeah. Was yeah, real self made yeah. guy. A real guy that, like, uh, not a lot of time. I know. Yeah. I don't know him as well as the other guys do. Right. And, like, I, I've got some embarrassing. You know, I was a little jealous of him, obviously, because, I, like I said, it's egomaniac with an inferiority complex. But, <laughs> yeah. but I've talked to a lot of people i got the utmost respect for, like Mike Treadwell, Keith mm-hmm. Johnson, and they all say, like, he is just like like kind of like a MacGyver type. Like, if you were ever stuck on a desert island, yeah, yeah. even though he doesn't come <laughs> off that way, he'd be the guy you'd want to be with because he'd figure a way to make yeah. You know, make you know some old wreck star. He grew mm-hmm. up in the junkyard, so he knows how to work on stuff really well. And yeah, yeah. I guess he's got a lot of really good common sense, and I know he's like been really good to me. And uh, I, you know, I'm just really proud to have known him and stuff. But I'll never forget that first '87 or whenever Southwick. When I finally passed him the last lap, but he like. The whole race, I was trying to pass him, and once again, it was like, "Who is this guy?" And I like, <laughs> I was eating dirt the whole race, and I got by him the last lap. And yeah, I turned around, I was like yelling, screaming, spitting at him, and stopping. <laughs> and he like still talks to me today, which is good because yeah. a lot of other people would have never spoken to me again after the way I acted. But he's a good dude. Um, who's your biggest rival? Is there a guy that stands out? I mean, we covered a bunch yeah, of them. Yeah, but... Jim Meenan. Ever hear that? Yeah, name? Jim. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. As far as New England, it was by far Jim Meenan. Yeah. There were some really good riders, really fast. 
the Morrison brothers, Bob Mayhouse, Graham Barber. The list goes on and on. But I was lucky enough to have, like, who I think. He was a factor. You know, he wrote KTN stuff. He never – that was the weird thing is those guys would just kill me. And then we go to a national. I beat the guys <laughs> pretty handily. Uh-huh. I just seemed to be able to get up for the nationals. But, but during the week, I mean, we went through a couple of years where – Literally, we'd be like every race. It would be like you know one of those battle, one of those legendary battles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many times I was leading a moto with one lap to go, and he won, or vice versa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there were um, many of them, you know, and it was crazy. And I was so lucky to have that. And I think about it now, and you know, I heard you talking to some other guys. You know, I'm a big fan of Jimmy D because, you know, I, I knew his family and, mm-hmm. you know, wrote a lot with him when he's growing up and stuff. And, like, I felt so bad now because, you know, we had some really good riders like Robbie Marshall. Yeah. And uh, he was really fast. And then uh, he was just a little older than Jimmy. So Jimmy came up to the mini bikes and, like, he had some guys who'd be fast and then they'd move on. And then for a year he'd be, like, all alone out there. Right. And then he'd move up to the B. And he'd have a couple guys, uh, you know, um, you know, a couple guys who were pretty good, and he'd battle, and then they'd move up. But he was just young enough, so I mean, I remember he'd raced like three years in New England, where he was just like literally, you know, half a lap ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's the key is that type of constant competition. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I think like he and Robbie yeah. Marshall. Yeah. We're both at their prime together. They could have like brought themselves because right, right. I mean, you've seen Marshall at Southwick. He's yeah, you know, been as fast as anyone. And like Chad Charbonneau, you saw him when he rode that, yep. you know, won that Canadian National. And yeah, yeah. There's plenty of guys who are really fast in New England. Mm-hmm. And like once again, back in my day, <laughs> we all raced together. You know, there wow. were five or six of those guys on the line every time. And even even after your era, Larusso and Tread oh, yeah, and those. I mean, exactly. there was yeah. always guys going at it. You know, uh, Barton. Exactly. And, and you're right about that. You're, yeah, you're, you're right. That, that it and could since be. There was money involved, and it was uh, quite you know mm-hmm. professionally run. You know, I mean, I remember in '82, I was riding for. It was the first time I ever had you know plane tickets paid for, mm-hmm. and so I raced the Afterdome. I think it was the Astrodome or one of the Texas stadiums. And, like, I was so bummed because it was a big New England race the next day. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I think Mike Bell or one of those guys said, I'm there, like, oh, I wish there was some way I could get home because I'd race that race tomorrow. And he said, oh, well, why don't you try, like, UPS or something there? What do you mean? He said, like, oh, yeah, I think UPS is out of here. And they have, like, four seats on the plane. If they're not filled up, you can get a flight home with a mail. <laughs> And so I'd never heard of that. I go to the airport on a whim, find this flight that's going back at like eleven thirty uh-huh. their time, which is an hour ahead. Yeah. So I get to Logan, Boston at like two in the morning. I can't get any of my friends to wake up. So I paid like seventy two bucks in nineteen eighty two for a taxi back to my house. <laughs> Threw my practice bikes in the Toyota pickup and went down to Middleborough and raced that day, you know, just because <laughs> I didn't want to miss an yeah. England event. Yeah, you're like, yeah, all right, it, that's what you did. All right, <laughs> so, oh, that's crazy. Um, MotorcycleSuperstore.com, yeah. Racer X podcast with the great JoJo Keller. Uh, use the code PB-Pulp16 when you're checking out. 
MotorcycleSuperstore.com, over 700 trusted brands, and Fox Racing, of course, too. Thanks to those guys. Well, JoJo, um, thank you, man. Thanks for the stories. Thanks for the catching up. Thank it, you. Sorry was... if I get too excited. No, it's great. Much, it's just a real thrill talking about all these old friends. I love it. There's so many I wish I could thank, but... I, uh, it's been an honor talking to you, buddy. Ah, thank you, man. Yeah, I can cross this off my list. I have done a podcast with Joe Joe Keller, which is pretty awesome. I think people will dig it. Yeah, I think people will, will really like it. And uh, I got your number now, so we can uh, maybe do a part two down the road a little bit. So, um, Thank you. And anytime you come into town, if they do Foxburg again or Southwick, I'd love to, uh, you know, I know you're always busy, but i uh, sure love to be able to take you, you know, come meet my wife or yeah. whatever and take you out to eat or whatever, but it's been really fun and thanks for all your uh, good work in the industry. Oh, thank you, man. I'm pumped that you listen. That's cool. I, that's exactly, uh, that's awesome. That's why I do these things. So, um, we're, we're super fan, super dork geek fans of motocross, both of us. So, um, thanks, Jojo. Appreciate it. Take care, Steve. Thank uh, you very much. Right. See Bye-bye. ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Steve Mathis Show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there, you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. 
Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years go by.